Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm Tony Heil, councilman in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania. And if you've listened to the podcast, you know I've talked to people from Alaska to Florida, from Maine to Hawaii, and all points in between at all levels of government, from U.S. Senate to school board and borough council like myself. Um, But the most important elections to me in the country are often state legislative elections. That's where a lot of policy happens that doesn't get enough attention. And a lot of elections where people sit them out or don't understand the things going on at the state level, think all elections involve the president. And so we're going to talk to someone who really gets that in one of the most important states in the country, and not only one of the most important states in the country, one of the most important districts in the most important state in the country, from Wisconsin, my new friend, Representative Deb Andraka. Uh, Welcome, Deb. Thanks, Tony. It's great to be here. Well, I was really excited reading your background a bit because, like me, you went to college in New York State, though we went to different colleges. But more importantly, you have spent time in Pennsylvania, so you've been all over the best parts of the country, right? Absolutely. Nothing but the best. Uh, And I know that you have been involved in policy matters for a long time, even though you've been a legislator for just a few years. So... A lot of the people I talked to, they got involved because of Barack Obama or Donald Trump more recently. But when did you go from, you know, my parents tell me to vote to I'm going to be even more involved than just going to the polls on Election Day? Well, yes, I I went to college in upstate New York. And when I was at Syracuse University, I was a political science major. And that's where I started getting involved in some campus-level politics. I worked uh, at the time uh, at uh, Mario Cuomo's office uh, in Syracuse. And I really liked the constituent services part of it and decided that I wanted to get into um, some kind of politics. Went to Washington, D.C. I worked for the Solar Energy Trade Association and got a master's degree in political management at GW. I thought that was going to be my trajectory, working more on the political side. I worked for a congressional candidate as a press secretary. And then life takes over, as it often does. Uh, Ended up moving to Chicago. I moved to Houston and ended up in Wisconsin, where I've been for the past 20 years. So I took a little time off, raised my kids, went back to school uh, to get my teacher's license, thought I'd be a teacher, and then ended up running for office. So uh, people ask me sometimes, you know, well, well, what was your, how did you decide to, to run for office? Well, it certainly wasn't direct. <laughs> it wasn't direct. And before I get into that, so you did, you obviously did decide to run for office, but, you know, I grew up in the 90s too. And and I feel like politics was a lot different, though ob- honestly not always different because it was still crazy. We had Newt Gingrich and things. It was not necessarily the sane utopia that some people think it is. But, you know, now that you've been in office, what are the things from back then that you think um, are totally wrong from today? Or is there, like, are things a lot different than your first experiences with politics? Well, I grew up in, I guess, what we would call today a divided household. Mm-hmm. My father was a Republican. My mother always said she was an independent but voted more Democratic. Mm-hmm. We used to joke about that she would go to the polls and my mother and father would cancel each other out. And that was so much more typical, mm-hmm. where you would have friends and family that would be a member of another party. And that was normal. And it's just devolved to the point today where we forget that what that is like. We forget what it's like to be able to talk to someone across the aisle. Um, And and that's not only sad, but it's dangerous because when we don't talk and we don't have those dialogues, that's when communications breaks down and leads to a lot of the the roadblocks and just the log jams that we have today. Well, you had to talk to a lot of people if you're going to run for office 
how did you come to that decision to become a candidate yourself? So yeah, it was a little roundabout. Um, I had, was on the path to become an elementary school teacher. I just got my teacher's license and I was uh, being a substitute in classrooms for a while. And while I was doing that, I was also doing a lot of volunteer work for a group called Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense. Yeah. And when you're in the classroom these days, you have to go through lockdown drills. Yeah. Now, I didn't have to go through those when I was young, uh, but my kids go through them. Fine. And when you're in the classroom and you have 28 kids huddled in a corner of the of the classroom away from windows and everything's silent, it, it's a terrifying experience. And I could see what was happening to our kids, my own kids, and I just didn't think that they should have to go through this. We shouldn't have to live this way. So I started volunteering for moms, and because I had worked in political capacities before, and I had been uh, on the lobbying side, I knew how to talk to legislators, so I helped bring uh, moms volunteers to uh, the, our state capitol to talk with their state legislators about why we needed better gun laws. And it all came to a head uh, during a special session. And we have a lot of those in Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. We have a, de a Democratic governor and a gerrymandered Republican legislature. So the governor can call the legislature into session, but they can't make them talk. So they gavel in and gavel out. And we thought we were going to get some sort of dialogue on, on, on gun laws, on background checks, on all gun sales, uh, red flag laws. They gaveled in and gaveled out. And a friend of mine looked at each other. We're just like, that's it. Unless we get some other people, some different people into this legislature, nothing's ever going to change. So she became the campaign manager. I became the candidate. And we channeled our frustrations into the 23rd district. Yeah, and you decided to run in one of those gerrymandered districts. So I guess, based on what I've seen on social media, you're going to bring up gerrymandering. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, it's a passion of mine. Uh, one of my Christmas presents from my daughter was a shirt that said, I am likely to bring up gerrymandering. I'm not allowed to say the word at the dinner table anymore. So. Right. That's okay. I, I've explained it to my kids. We've Everyone went through redistricting this year. And, you know... So you, did you understand that issue? Obviously, you're smart and understood politics before, but did you fully appreciate what that gerrymandering was like before you got involved in running? Or was it something where when you saw, started seeing it, it's like right in your face, like how was it this bad? It's not something that you necessarily pay attention to right, right away. And your average person, I think, in your average state, you, know, you might hear the term. But when you start to get involved and when you are talking with your state legislators and you're trying to figure out, you know, in, for example, in Wisconsin, we have over 80 percent of the public says that they want to make sure we have background checks on all gun sales. Mm -hmm. But we can't even have a public hearing on the bill. And you're like, how could this be? I mean, when I was in political science, something that was popular, you had a hearing, you voted it up, you voted it down, and the process is just broken. Mm -hmm. And that's when you realize that when the legislature can draw its own districts to give itself a rock-solid majority that won't be budged, they can pretty much do what they want. And so that's when I started to get just more and more frustrated, and I decided to take on my district. So my district, the 23rd, um, it's changed a little bit, but it's pretty much one of those suburban districts that you hear a lot that mm -hmm. is moving a little bit to the left. Um, although I always say that our, my neighbors haven't moved to the left. I, I think our Republican Party has moved really far to the right. Mm -hmm. uh, we still have uh, the same people with many of the same views. They're just not finding a home uh, in your traditional party breakdown that maybe we had in the past. Yeah, that's what I see, too, in my area. I'm in a suburban county here outside of Philadelphia um, that 30 years ago was like the one Republican county. And now it is 
you know, one of the most reliable, you might get more votes out of our county than other ones. So what was your key to success to be able to flip that kind of district? Was it that people were ready for it or you probably had to put in a lot of work to convince enough people? Yeah, I was a lot of work. It was a lot of money. Um, and it was, uh, it was, it was hard. It was very hard. Um, we took it on, like I said, as a way to channel our frustration. What we didn't know is we were going to be running in a pandemic. Mm -hmm. So not only was it hard, but we filed our papers in December of 2019, knowing that it would be a very long and difficult, uh, campaign and that we'd have to raise a lot of money, uh, then the world shut down in March. So all of our campaign plans were pretty much thrown out the window as we had to try to figure out how to campaign from home over Zoom uh, and do all of the outreach and introduce our campaign to voters in in, in ways that you know, didn't involve knocking on doors or certainly not you know shaking hands or kissing babies mm -hmm. uh, during the height of the pandemic. You know, one of the first people I had as a guest on here was someone who ran for office in Wisconsin, Emily Segrist. And she ran in 2018, and she came close. It was a tough election that she lost. But she said that it was the governor's race was so close that having those legislative races was able to, like, boost up turnout in certain areas. Um, now, you ran in a presidential year, so it wasn't exactly the same. Uh, but what, what was that impact on those legislative races on the other races on the ballot? Well, the in our last campaign, it, it certainly helped as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just making sure that you are talking to voters, reminding them that we have an election coming up, getting them excited about some of the local issues, and really drawing a connection between your local electeds and uh, the issues that they care about. Because everyone pays attention to the governor's race, everyone pays attention to the the, the top of the ticket. But really, you what you talk about in your podcast a lot, Tony, is where the rubber hits the road is that your, your state level reps, your local assembly, your, your local senator, uh, who is making decisions on your behalf. What I felt was a lot of people in our district were frustrated because we had someone in office who was just pushing one party's button all the time, where if you look at polls, we have a very, we have a purple district. Mm -hmm. And so it is, it's very easy to show up and just pull the party, you know, just pull the party uh, lever or push the party's button. But to be a thoughtful representative and to make sure you're representing people who are in your district, uh, that takes that takes a lot more work. And that's the kind of representative that I try to be. So one of those things that's also a challenge to me when talking to a lot of people is you want to break that supermajority. You said that there's only like three seats really that keep the Republicans from having not just a majority, but a supermajority, right? Two. So, um, we right now in the Senate, there was a supermajority. We had a resignation. And so there's a Senate election in the spring for uh, my Senate district. And in the assembly, there are only two seats separating um, the governor's vetoes from being overridden. So it is a very, very close, close uh, legislature. So you want to be able to defeat or replace at least a couple people to maintain a minority that is big enough to keep them a supermajority from happening or hopefully get a majority. How do you balance legislating with that when you like, let's say you have uh, representative Smith who is somewhat not too fringe. So like they're probably not too fringe because that's a district that allows them to be seen. How do you leverage the relationships to know that that's probably the person you got to beat in order to get the majority, but also that's probably the kind of person you need to govern with. 
Um, you need to make relationships. You need to reach out to people, uh, you know, talk to the people who are on your committee. You know, going forward long term, what we need are fair maps. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at the makeup of Wisconsin, um, uh, most of, if not all, the uh, the offices that are elected statewide uh, are Democrats, but not by a big majority. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but our legislature is overwhelmingly Republican. Uh, what I would like and what my voters would like is a return to districts that represent people. So we have more purple districts. And back to what I was talking to earlier, when you have purple districts, when you have more districts that have more evenly, even splits of Republicans and Democrats, you're talking to each other and you're listening to both sides. And that is just something we really, really need to get back to so we can get back to passing laws that actually represent the agenda that the people sent us there to to do. And I talked to people about this in Pennsylvania. We were going through our redistricting process and we finally have fair maps for our legislative districts for the first time in a long time because uh, the states of all these issues. It's not the details aren't too important. But what what constitutes fair maps to you from your work on it? Because some people will look at it and say, okay, our state is fifty fifty, so we should have fifty percent of districts that are more likely to trend Democrat and fifty percent more the other way. Or is it that you have uh, lines that kind of fit a certain way, or are the most competitive districts possible? The, the word fair districts can be kind of not always the same thing to everybody. Yeah, what we proposed in the last session was having an independent redistricting commission. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically the Iowa model, how you have districts and you have some guidelines. They have The districts need to be compact. They have to have you know, even numbers of people. Uh, you can't draw you know, crazy shapes in order to loop in certain numbers of voters. Um, but beyond that take the power out of the hands of the legislature because whether it's dominated by Republicans or dominated by Democrats, it's just too tempting to draw a circle around your voters and give you job security. Mm -hmm. So I would like to see those lines drawn by someone who doesn't have a direct stake in it and a commission that represents Republicans, Democrats, independents, um, and people who have the best interest of the entire state in mind. So the map is very gerrymandered now to protect the Republicans who don't have to be accountable to the majority of the voters in the state. But as you started to say, there is a way to finally change that this year, right? Yes, we have a huge election in Wisconsin coming up. Uh, The primary is Tuesday, uh, February 21st, and the general is April 4th. And in that election, uh, we have a Supreme Court seat that is up. And if we can elect a Supreme Court justice uh, who does not consistently vote conservative, um, who takes a broader look at what Wisconsinite needs and and reads the letter of the law, uh, we will get someone who will be able to consider our maps. And so uh, it is a huge election. We've got the Supreme Court coming up. We also have my Senate district that's up. Uh, If we can elect a Democrat in in that Senate district, then we break the 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 Republican supermajority Senate. So there's so much at stake on this spring ballot and spring elections don't always have a high turnout. So Mm -hmm. if you're listening and you're from Wisconsin, make sure you are registered to vote and that you plan to vote on uh, the 21st and especially April 4th. And I know you've been involved in different ways even before you ran, but my impression is that the Wisconsin Democratic Party as well has become much more organized over the last few years. You got a new chairperson. Um, There's a lot of really cool candidates. Do you think that you guys are in a better position to be organized for these kind of races than maybe in years past? 
I do. Um, I was able to flip a gerrymander. Uh, my, a couple other candidates ha had done it uh, in, in 2020 and in 2018. I think people are getting tired of the just not being able to get things done and not having popular proposals, even having a public hearing. So that that that's what frustrated me to, you know, and inspired me to run for office. That what that's what frustrates my neighbors. So I do hope that we can show up in the spring uh, and be able to elect a Supreme Court justice, and so we can take action on maps. We will also be able to uh, get rid of our abortion law. Right now, with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, uh, we have a law that was written in 1849. Wisconsin became a state in 1848. Women couldn't even vote. That's the law of the land right now. Mm -hmm. And some people think that's okay. So, um, there, like I said, there's a lot on the line, and I hope everyone in Wisconsin turns up to vote in April. And what are the impacts of abortion rights right now? Because I think that for, if you are one, of course, if you're a man who doesn't have to deal with the implications of abortion rules, not just because you are a man, but just, you know, maybe you're outside of that. Um, or maybe you're older, maybe you don't have, maybe it's not in your thoughts. What are the implications of the abortion laws and restrictions that Republicans are putting up on a state level? They're absolutely huge. Right now, we have uh, physicians who have a 1849 law that is very unclear. So it is you you are allowed to perform an abortion to save the life of the mother. I talk to physicians. How do you? It is not cut and dry. As a friend of mine said, a light doesn't come on on a patient that says this person is in jeopardy. Right. And so women's lives are literally on the line. Uh, our medical schools here in Wisconsin, uh, if you're getting certified for OBGYN, they're sending their uh, students out of state because they're not allowed to do basic women's health procedures in order to become a certified OBGYN. Um, so even beyond the everyday healthcare decisions and healthcare implications for women in the state, we have our medical schools, we have licenses of our emergency room physicians. Um, it, it, it is a tragedy. It is a tragedy for women's health and for everybody who relies on this medical care. And we, you know, you would normally think that we would have a public hearing and get to work on clarifying this law right away. And so far, we haven't done that because the Republican majority doesn't see it as a priority. So if you have a majority that doesn't ha even have hearings and you can't get the votes you want as, as well, obviously, um, how do you as a someone in the minority define success for your term? How do you go back to people and say, this is what makes me a success this year other, other than opposing bad legislation? Some of it's opposing bad legislation. Some of it is talking to our colleagues and supporting what good legislation we can get through the legislature. Mm -hmm. uh, working with our Democratic governor, Governor Evers, to highlight the programs that he is doing. Um, he is doing some great work uh, fixing the roads. Uh, we had a lot of battles over ARPA funding uh, mm -hmm. that came through that was at the governor's discretion. And so where the legislature wasn't able to take action, he was able to use some ARPA funding to do projects and, and priorities all across the state. So um, it, it can be very frustrating. Uh, it's hard to recruit candidates to be in a, in a, in a very minority situation. Uh, but the candidates we do have and the, you know, our new freshman class of Democrats are just are ready to get to work. And I'm very excited to see what we might be able to do. Whether, you know, if we can't pass that many bills that hopefully we can stop between, you know, our efforts and the governor's veto, we can stop some really bad bills from becoming law. Yeah, speaking of uh, recruiting candidates, how are you able to, are you able to get some candidates to run before 
gerrymandering rules can change. Like, how do you, what do you do to talk to people who you think is a good candidate um, to run for these offices? How can you encourage them and keep them going? Because it sounds like such a daunting task. It is very daunting, and it is hard to uh, you know to, to talk to people and encourage them that this is something that they want to do. But they are inspired by the same way I was inspired. You're just so frustrated when you have issues that people in Wisconsin believe in, and, and you, you see poll after poll that a majority want to see enacted, and they're not. So everybody who steps up and runs for office, whether you are in a district that is likely to win, that it might flip, or that it probably won't, you know, every single candidate that runs gets a message out there to the public. They talk about their platform, they talk mm -hmm about what needs to be done um, and it helps the top of the ticket just like the top of the ticket helps the bottom we see ourselves as getting out there and talking to voters and getting our message across that you know these are the pro we hear you these are the pro these are the the issues that we would like to tackle and give us a chance and we can make it happen you know i we talked in 2016 there's all this talk about the changing politics of the midwest but now you look at uh, Michigan and the Democratic majority they have now, which is a narrow majority, but I think they were even surprised that they got the majority they have. Uh, Minnesota has a trifecta now, and in 2016, it almost went uh, Republican, the presidential election. And so the, the, the trends in the Midwest seem to be different than they were just a few years ago. With the work you've done, especially with women in Wisconsin, do you think those trends could be moving towards your state? Yes, I do. Um, we need fair maps. In Wisconsin, we don't have the ability to have binding statewide referenda either. Yeah. And so we can put advisory referenda on ballots, but they don't hold the force of law. Uh, we held a special session to try to do that uh, around abortion rights. Uh, we, Governor Evers and the, and the Democrats in the legislature uh, called a special session and said, if you don't think that people in Wisconsin uh, want to return to uh, what we had before Roe versus Wade was overturned, let's turn it over to the people and give them the power to have a referendum. That was gaveled in and gaveled out. We can't have a hearing on that either. So that's what's so frustrating is we, we try to give we try to put these uh, these things in place that can give the majority of voters a voice and we're not being heard. So um, moving forward, we really hope we can get fair maps. We really hope that we can you know, do the work that the people send us there to do and not be stymied by some of the most gerrymandered maps in the country. And, you know, one of the things we have in common is that we both have Pennsylvania roots, both have some New York roots. But speaking of roots, one of the things we don't have in common is that you have hair and I don't. But you have a very <laughs> you have a very stressful situation you deal there. And I think one thing I've noticed I, I think doesn't get talked enough about in politics is that you even the other people on the other side, you're just human beings, right? How do you deal with the mental health of this all? Because the legislation you want to pass, it doesn't pass, you know the impact it has. Do you work with your colleagues, not just as your work partners, but as your friends that you've run together to take care of each other on a personal level, mental health wise? Absolutely. Um, we, my class, when we were elected in 2020, we were very close. And we, um, unfortunately, it was a pandemic. Mm -hmm. And so we set up Zoom rooms and we would chat once a week just to kind of check in with each other. Because the work that we do, it is very hard. Um, and it, it can be difficult to keep going. But what is really inspiring is when you're out knocking on doors, 
talking to voters, you know, hearing their priorities, and when you know that you are doing what you're supposed to do. So whether or not a bill gets a hearing or not, you're there to represent your constituents to the best of your ability. And so we're going to keep doing that and we're going to keep fighting because we know we have the majority of voters on our side. All right. So I think we have a very good sense of why you ran and the type of issues you ran on and the things that are important to you right now. Um, but thinking of the future, the podcast is called You Should Run. What would be your message to someone who's looking at running, not just in Wisconsin, but for any seat? What would you encourage people to do to as maybe their first step if they want to run for office? There are, have been a lot of training programs that have sprung up to encourage people to run. Um, I did uh, the Emerge program, uh, mm -hmm. which helps uh, women Democrats uh, prepare for office. Uh, I've also been mentoring through um, Moms Demand Action and Every Town for Gun Safety. Uh, they have a program as well. And so I try to go get, talk to some of the volunteers and talk about my transition from being a volunteer to helping volunteers go to the Capitol to having an office in the Capitol, and then being able to, to turn around and help those volunteers talk to other legislators. So there are lots of programs like that that are out there. If you're interested, uh, you should do it. You should also talk to, reach out to your local electeds, reach out to your state representative, reach out to your state senator, uh, ask them you know how they did it and see if they can help you. Um, a lot of people just look at the state house, and I think that our local elections, our county boards, our school boards, those are just as important, especially these days, because they're under attack like never before. Uh, the partisanship has really trickled down. They're very, very hard positions. I'm not going to sugarcoat it, that all of these positions are difficult, but you do get an opportunity to make a difference. You get an opportunity to have a voice and to give a voice to the issues and to the priorities that you and your voters feel uh, are most and that's inspiring, and it is an absolute privilege to be able to do that every day. And one of the final things I want to bring up, though, is um, you talk about all these programs like Emerge, and I've talked to a lot of people who've gone through that training, and it's really good. Um, and I was surprised to learn that there's only one state in the country that has a majority female legislature, and that's Nevada, and that's obviously recent. Uh, so that means 49 other states have a majority male legislature, most, and not usually by one or two seats. And that, like you said, partisanship also trickles down to all those other things. Like my council is majority female, which is great, but, you know, everything seems to have that gendered bias. What is the importance of representation and what, what kind of things do you think happen when you can get more women on the ballot and into these offices? Well, in Wisconsin, in the state assembly, our minority leader, Greta Neubauer, leads a majority female caucus. And so we are a majority female in uh, the uh, assembly in Wisconsin. Well, at least and for the caucus, it, right? For the caucus, right. yes. Um, not on the Republican side, uh, but I do see more and more women on both sides getting elected, and it's 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 powerful. It shapes what you what the caucus talks about, how we talk about things, and we're able to inspire young women. I try to go because I was an elementary school teacher. Partly, I love being in the classroom, but every time I have an opportunity to talk to scouts, whether it's uh, I mentored a, a middle schooler who was just 
interested in state government, uh, went to her career fair and just, you know, I, I try to be out and, and present with students as much as possible. And I always encourage them to run for office. Uh, seeing somebody who you can identify with, uh, whether that's because they, you know, they share your background or because it's another woman, it's, it's just another way that you can see a path forward, that you can see yourself uh, doing that job. And um, we haven't had a woman speaker yet, but uh, I hope to. I hope sometime in the near future we can see someone with the gavel as well, so women can see themselves even more in leadership positions all across the state. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And I think what's important that you said there too, from what I'm hearing, is not just. I think a lot of people look at Democrats are votes for Democrats and Republicans are votes for Republicans. Maybe some other votes, but the thing you mostly bring to the table are the issues that you bring up that someone else in your seat. Could be another Democrat, but wouldn't have brought up. I think that's probably where most of the work gets done. Yes, absolutely. So um, I think you've really encouraged me to really care about Wisconsin. Not that I didn't before, but like the, all these issues are really important. Well, in the news. <laughs> I know. And, and it's, I, I like Wisconsin because the people are nice. Um, I used to like the Packers, but, you know, whatever. Um, and um, though, of course, I'm rooting for the Eagles. This is going to. This will make go up before or after the Super Bowl. I don't know, but hopefully the Eagles won. Um, but if people are encouraged by you and they want to learn more and maybe find out some of the trainings or what they should do, what are the best ways that you would say to reach out to you to stay in touch and, and um, be inspired? Well, my rep, I have a website. It's just repandraka.com. That is my legislative website. So you can learn about you know, what we're doing. Uh, we have a legislative newsletter that we send out summaries. So if you're interested in, in that level. Um, otherwise, I just pay attention to what's going on in Wisconsin. It seems like we're always in the news for, for better or worse because we are the state that is so evenly divided and just a small handful of votes decides every single election. Governor Evers likes to joke that that he won by a landslide in his second election because he had 3% as opposed to the uh, around 1% that he won with the first time. So every election is close. Every election turnout matters. It is very important to make sure that your, your vote is, it's important for everyone to vote, but especially if you live in Wisconsin, it is important to vote in every single election because it, it does matter. Well, I appreciate that you voted, that people voted for you, and that you took time to talk with me today. I hope if everyone's listening, you'll follow uh, Representative Andraka online, and maybe you'll be inspired to run for office, too. Thanks so much, uh, Deb. I really appreciate it, and, and good luck in Wisconsin. You need it. Thanks, Tony. I really appreciate all that you do to get people to run for office. It's never been more important.